Hi, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified intuitive eating and body image coach. Thank you for hanging out. Seriously, I am so excited about this conversation. I think you're going to love Kim Hagel, my guest today, and everything that she is here to teach us. First of all, her personal body image story is super powerful. I really think that you are going to resonate with everything that she shares. And I will also tell you that I was taking so many notes during our talk. I learned so much from what Kim shared beyond her personal story as it relates to everything she teaches on motivation within movement as well as in life, which is why I decided to title this episode that because we really, Kim teaches us four really essential pieces to motivation that can be applied, of course, to movement. And that's how she, that's how she really teaches it in her practice. But these are concepts that you can easily apply to life. So when I was listening to everything that she was saying, I was thinking, oh my God, I can't wait to do this. This is so, this makes so much sense. This is so practical. This is so actionable. And I was thinking about you while I was taking the notes and trying to be super present in the conversation too. My my mind was just very excited hearing all of this. And so I have been really, really looking forward to sharing it with you. Kim also teaches us about the two motivation killers that are also really important to acknowledge. And she links these back to um, just how these apply to food and body image specifically. So I can't wait for you to learn and hear Kim's story. Let me share a bit about the fabulous Kim Hagel before we dive in. Kim Hagel is a certified personal trainer, registered holistic nutritionist, mom of four, and founder of Radiant Vitality Wellness. Kim hosts the Joyful Movement Show podcast. And through her signature movement plus mindset program, Discover Joyful Movement. She helps women find what moves them by disconnecting exercise from weight loss and instead connecting to their intuition to choose movement as a form of self-care. Kim's personal journey to self-acceptance has led her to do this work. Radiant Vitality was born as a result of Kim's personal experience and observations of how the fitness industry fails women by idealizing the thin body. Kim believes that movement is an innate human need and is passionate about helping women care for their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual body through movement that feels amazing. Kim's gentle but empowering approach inspires women to examine the limiting beliefs that are holding them back from the healthy lifestyle they desire. Through joyful movement, intuitive eating, and mindset coaching, she helps them to cultivate lasting motivation by chasing overall well-being beyond the scale. So powerful. I can't wait for you to meet Kim. Just a disclaimer before we get into the show. This show was created with the intention to encourage women to take up space. So we acknowledge that everyone's journey is different and want to remind you to first and foremost, take care of you. If you're listening along and feeling activated, that is a sign to hit pause, take a breath, know that you can always come back to the conversation if and when you're ready and trust that your intuition is one of the greatest sources of self-care. So really pay attention. I will also say that towards the middle and the end of the conversation, that's where we really get into the motivation pieces. So depending on how you're feeling today, I don't know why I feel really called to share that with you. I will also be transparent and let you know I've recorded this intro like 10 times and you and I both know if you've listened to this show for a while, that is a sign that something else is going on. And so I am going to release this, step away figure out my shit and what is happening in my life. Um, but every time I recorded the intro, 
I have said that. And so it's on my heart for a reason. So if you're listening to the story and feeling activated, just know that you might want to step away. But if you want to dig in more, just go to the middle to the end. And that is where we really get into um, motivation, just information, tips, tools, techniques, as well as uh, really looking at health metrics and just some more nuanced pieces of fitness and movement and creating joyful movement. Kim is just such a, she's such an expert in all of these things. And like I said before, I learned so much from her. So I am really glad that you're here. I can't wait for you to just learn from her as well too. I'm going to go take care of myself. I hope you have a fabulous week. If you're not already signed up for the weekly newsletter, you can click the link in the show notes and get on it. Every Sunday, you'll receive an email from me filled with a personal note, reflection questions, inspirational quotes, food and body resources from books to style, easy recipes, and everything happening in this body truth community. All right. I love you. Enjoy, Kim. Have a great week. Bye. Kim Hagel. Hi. Whoa, that was an Oprah voice and I'm not mad about it. I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for showing up and spending the hour plus with us today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of your show and it's an honor to be here with you. Yes, I love that so much. I can't wait to dive in. Let's just do it. What's What's your first body awareness moment, Kim? I know you just said you listened to the show, so you have an idea of this question. What does that look like mm -hmm. for you? That moment where you realized I'm in a body and apparently mm -hmm. this means something in the world that I'm living in. Just paint the picture for us and also how did that moment mm -hmm. shape your body image story, your relationship with yourself? Yeah. I love that you asked this question. And when I listen to your show, I, 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 I relate so much to all of the different stories. So um, I, I did think about this a lot in preparation. And I can honestly say I don't really remember a time in my life where I, I wasn't aware of my body or where I, I didn't judge my body in some way, shape or form. Um, from the time that I was even a little child, I remember food being um, restricted. Like I was told, don't eat so much, you're gonna get fat. Or um, my mom would use the term two-ton test. It's so awful, I hate that. But she'd be like, stop with the cookies, you're gonna turn into two-ton test. And then my dad had this little rhyme that went along with that. And <clears throat> so I remember from a very early age, like developing the belief that fat was bad and you didn't want to do that. And the way to avoid that was by watching what you ate. Um, so fast forward even into like starting starting school. And I'm not sure if in even kindergarten I was aware, but definitely in my early years of school, I was very much aware that I was larger than the other girls. And for the sake of your listeners who can't see our faces, I want to just say like, I do live in a straight size body, um, always have, but I'd say I'm at the, the larger end of the straight size spectrum. Um, I describe myself as having a sort of solid muscular build. So even as a child, I was aware that I was bigger than the other girls and felt like there was something wrong with that, that they were better than me, they were prettier than me, they were more valuable than me. Um, and I was never an athletic kid. I hated athletics. I was slow. I was clumsy. I sucked at all the sports and I got picked on for that. And I, I, even at that young age, believed that it was my body's fault, that it was because I was bigger, that there, that that was the reason that I wasn't able to keep up with the other kids or do things that the other kids were able to do. Um, and my mom would always try to like force me to get outside and play sports and and do all of the things and i just i just remember a lot of talk about how i needed to watch what i ate and move more to avoid becoming fat and 
in hindsight, I know like my mom does live in a larger body and I'm sure that a lot of her comments were coming from a place of um, protection and trying to help me avoid some stigma that perhaps she faced living in a larger body. Um, I even have a recollection of, I think I was maybe in grade one or two. Um, my mom was pregnant and came into the school to volunteer. And after she left, some of the kids in my class were like making fun of her and calling her names and um, comparing her to, I can't remember if it was a cow or a pig or some, but it was an animal. And I was so hurt and so offended. And I was like, just so sad that they would talk about my mom that way. And I didn't know what to do with those feelings. So when I went home from school that day, I told my mom about this, hoping that she'd help me feel better. But it ended up making her very upset. And that was a moment where I realized like, okay, this is definitely not okay to be fat. And when we talk about it, it hurts people's feelings. So I learned to keep quiet. Um, so that's kind of all the the backstory, but the the one moment that really, I guess my big body awareness moment, that moment when I realized there was, my body meant something and I needed to do something about it was when I was about 12 years old. Um, my aunt, who I really looked up to, she was like my fun aunt. She, she didn't have kids of her own and um, she really doted on us. She had been away on a vacation somewhere warm and came back with presents for me and my brothers. And she brought me this bathing suit and I, like I said, I was 12 um, and it was, I think like 1989. So <laughs> styles were like something, something else back then. But um, this bathing suit was a one piece, but it had the middle cut out. So like the tummy and low back were exposed. And I got this bathing suit and I was just so thrilled and so flattered because it was like my first like big girl bathing suit. I was never allowed to wear a two piece or show my midriff. So I felt like really special that that she had bought this for me. And I like remember looking at my mom being like, is this OK? Am I allowed to wear this? And she was like, sure, it's great. So I went to change. I went to try it on and I put it on. I was just like pleased as punch. I just couldn't believe that I had this and I was so thrilled to wear it and walked out in the living room to show it to my aunt and my mom and they turned to each other and started snickering and whispering to each other and i was like what are you laughing at what's so funny and my aunt said oh it's just that you have the little pooch the little family pooch like we all have and i was just mortified like i think i just i don't think i cried in the moment i think i hid how embarrassed and ashamed i felt but I changed out of that bathing suit and I never put it on again. I never wore a bikini up until, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago when I did my own body image work. But that was the moment where I realized there's something wrong with my body and I've got to do something about this. So I, I hid my stomach. Um, I started restricting food, not with any consistency, but I, I did start to be more conscious of what I ate. I still didn't do anything athletic because I hated sports and thought I sucked at it and I wasn't willing to do that, but I really manipulated food. Um, and when I formally started like dieting in my twenties, it was never, I never had a goal weight in mind. My goal was always to flatten my stomach, fix the stomach. And, um, Eventually I did, we can talk about how I like found, moved into like working out and found exercise and movement. Um, it became a, a, an obsession, like it gradually progressed from, you know, trying my first diet to trying the next one to like, you know, eventually adding in working out. And like, it just was this like snowball effect that consumed the next, I don't know, 15 or more years of my life. And, I mean, though I never got diagnosed with an eating disorder, I would definitely say that I had disordered habits around food and exercise. And even at the lowest weight, even when I was like killing it with, you know, eating quote, perfectly clean and working out intensely, I never found, I never found that flat stomach and, you know, never lost that, that feeling of, of shame of, that there was something wrong with my body. Um, 
until until much more recently until I learned about health at every size and um and did my own body image work but yeah that was that was the moment wow mm. wow Kim what a what a powerful story and it also makes so much sense as well to just the setup for this moment and also your journey you know all of this all of the stigma and fear and um emotional protection that was being reinforced in your environment growing up which i mm -hmm. I think so many of us can relate to. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's something that is so interesting when we talk about body image, because I don't think that we talk about that enough, just how important mm -hmm. our environment is in mm -hmm. terms of how we feel about our body. I mean, I heard you so clearly when you were telling your story about being in the bathing suit and how you were feeling before coming into wherever your mom and your aunt were and just feeling confident mm -hmm. and, and feeling almost neutral, you know, like there's nothing to worry yeah. about. Like, I just like this bathing suit. I'm not even concerned mm -hmm. with my body. This is, mm -hmm. this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then getting that feedback about yeah. your body. Oh man. I, yeah. I mean, it's, and also it's, it's not to blame your mom or not your at aunt all. either. Yeah. And I know you're not doing that, but I think that's also really mm -hmm. important to acknowledge as well too, because you already mm -hmm. mentioned that like they have their own lived experience and their own yeah. bodies. And from what you mentioned in the, in the classroom, just the, the messages that you received from your classmates about your mom's body and how she received the story that you told her, mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot of pain and yeah, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I can just, I can so understand that I'm not a mom and I know you are, but wanting to protect mm -hmm. your children from mm -hmm. the world, from any, yeah. from any pain or any discomfort. And, um, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's that very primal protective mechanism that I think mm -hmm. so many of us have, intuitively within us and yeah. that compounded with the messages of diet culture and fat phobia and weight stigma and all of these things it's it's just a snowball effect of um mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of complication and disorders like you're saying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting how one one moment can change the course of a person's life right and how that that bathing suit moment really influenced the next 15 years of my life but it, it, when you say you know you not to blame my aunt or my mom I totally don't and I don't even think they would remember that conversation if we talked about it today right like I'm sure it meant very little to them in that moment but yeah yeah I'm sure and what's so interesting is they probably have their own moment too that mm -hmm. when they receive that feedback the other person probably don't they don't remember it either and I think that's that's what's so interesting about our own lived experiences in our bodies is it is it is really interpretation and these single moments that really shape and inform our beliefs that um, can just be such a tiny moment in time. Mm -hmm. So when you yeah. were going through just restriction, like you said, and then more into the diet culture world, obviously, mm -hmm. were you talking about that with anybody? Like, were you actually having conversations with your mom about trying to actually change your body or was the shame kind of keeping it more on the secret side for you? No, I was, I was open about it. And the, the interesting thing was, um, I, I think it was Weight Watchers I participated in, uh, after, one of my kids was born. I can't remember which one, um, but mom would babysit for me while I went to Weight Watchers meetings. And she would kind of like, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. And <laughs> I just remember thinking it was so paradoxical, right? Like being raised all my life to like not get fat, you know, control your weight. And then when I like was dieting, I was like, why are you doing that? Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's uh, it 
like when it comes down to self-worth and just making decisions for ourselves based on what we want and that becoming entangled with how we want to please the people around us who we love the most. Mm -hmm. um, like that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Were you able to eventually have conversations with your mom about just what you've gone through? And I know you are pretty public with your story at this point. What does that relationship like look like with your your family today? Um, just to tell you the truth, no, it's not really something that we talk about. Um, I think it's still a very sensitive subject, and I don't, I don't think my mom's at a stage of wanting to you know, talk about her own internalized fat phobia. Um, it, yeah, no, it's just not something we've really talked about. She she knows that I've gone through this journey of, you know, stopping dieting and transforming my business to the non-diet approach and that I help people with their body image. And she's, she's supportive of that. But like um, talking about the, like our stories leading up to it is no, not something that we, we really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult, difficult conversation. And it also mm -hmm. requires the other person being ready and you can't yeah. force that and you can't exactly. control that. And mm -hmm. that's really such a powerful um, example of just being in your own journey, staying in your own lane, showing up for yourself mm -hmm. and just uh, loving the people around you, um, mm -hmm. you know, wherever they're at without judgment or or anything, which it sounds like yeah. exactly what you're doing. So tell mm -hmm. us about how you got into <laughs> a place where you were able to feel more at peace with your body and your relationship with food. Yeah, well, it, it, it took a long time. Um, I guess if I can backtrack a little how I ended up in the fitness world in the first place, because that kind of leads into to my journey to body neutrality. Um, back after I'd had my third child. So I have four children, but um, after I'd had my third one, she's now almost 11. Um, that's when I was really, I'd say at a really low point with my body image. And um, I had I had quit working um, outside of the home. So I was a stay at home mom. And I, I really kind of was struggling with my identity. Like I, I didn't kind of know what to, I wanted to be home with my kids, but I really didn't know what, how to settle into that role. Um, so that kind of manifested as body image stuff, right? Like as we often do, we kind of blame our body for all of the other discomforts that we're feeling in our life. Um, so I really wanted to lose weight, but I was, I had dieted so much by this point and realized that they didn't work long-term and I didn't want to, I didn't want to go on another diet. I didn't want to do Weight Watchers again or any of the other things. So I hired a personal trainer myself um, and she came to my home and she worked with me, uh, taught me exercises while my kids were napping. And she was so wonderful. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I, my body was strong and I was capable and I liked doing things with my body. And as someone who hated sports and was never athletic growing up, it was like, I felt really empowered and it was just, I felt connected to my body and like just so accomplished. Um, so that very quickly turned into an obsession because, you know, I had all this story and this drama of not being athletic, not being good at sports. And I, I kind of had a mission <laughs> of proving that wrong. Um, so fitness kind of became my life and I did lose a bunch of weight. And of course I added dieting onto it because like, you know, that's how you get even better results. Um, and then people started really giving me a lot of validation. Like I was being told that I looked so good and what an inspiration and look at all the things that you're doing. And I kind of liked it to be honest. Um, so because of that, I thought, well, I'm just going to go and become a personal trainer because I'm like working out is kind of becoming my full-time job anyways. <laughs> it's like taking over my life. So why wouldn't I like turn it into my business and start getting paid for it? Um, so I did, and that's kind of how I ended up in the fitness industry. And of course, for the first, I don't know, seven years of my career as a personal trainer, it was very diet culture -y. Like I was trying to help people lose weight just like I did. Um, and that worked for a while until it just didn't anymore. As we all know, sustained intentional weight loss is impossible and we all regain the weight at some point. Um, 
I didn't know at the time that it was that 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 was the statistic that 95% of people regained the weight. I thought that I was doing something wrong. Um, my life took some pretty big turns. I went through a divorce, um, eventually remarried down the line. And then we had a fourth child who has Down syndrome, special needs. And um, through all of that, I was not able to maintain my weight loss, but I thought it was my fault, all the stress that I was going through. Um, so I ended up leaving the fitness industry because I felt like a fraud. I was like, I, I'm no longer this picture of health or this inspirational role model this that people look up to. I don't have the like perfectly cut, toned, chiseled body. I'm not winning races anymore. Like, you know, I'm a total fraud, basically. Like, I'm going to just walk away from fitness. Um, so I did. Um, and eventually kind of fell into intuitive eating and joyful movement all on my own because because I had to like I, I I couldn't maintain that ideal anymore I couldn't restrict I couldn't force myself to do two hours of exercise because I didn't have the mental capacity for it it just was not something that I wanted to do um so it was in my my two-year hiatus from the fitness industry that I sort of started exploring intuitive eating and learning about the non-diet approach. And that's when I um, discovered Stephanie Doje um, going beyond the food, her podcast, and um, eventually ended up taking her professional mentorship program. And like my mind was just blown. I was like, I, I, it never even crossed my mind that fitness didn't have to be about weight loss or weight maintenance or burning calories. It just was like, that's what you do <laughs> when you work out. It's about changing your body. Um, so as I healed my own relationship to movement and began to discover joyful movement for myself, I realized how much I missed the fitness industry and, and how much I like that feeling that I had when I first discovered it of feeling strong and confident and accomplished in my body and that that's really what it's all about. It's not about these external body chasing goals. Um, and so that's what kind of, kind of brought me back and it's how I operate my business now. Mm. Wow. That is, your story is just so powerful. I'm obsessed with it. Mm. And there's just oh. so, many, <laughs> so many takeaways and light bulb moments and just, I think, I certainly feel validated in hearing it. And I know that so many people listening will. Um, I'm really curious about your, your internal path with shifting from the diet mindset to the intuitive eating mindset as a fitness professional. Because I think that one of the biggest questions and stigmas and conversations when the world sees somebody making a change like that is, well, they just can't cut it or they're just giving up or they're just, mm -hmm. you know, they're giving up on their health or they're just being lazy or whatever yeah. type of yeah. bullshit messaging yeah. is circulating. So mm -hmm. what type of internal beliefs were you bumping up against, if any? Mm -hmm. And how did you get to a place where you felt confident in this decision? Mm -hmm. And it, you're so right, Caitlin. And actually the, I have received that criticism. Like that has been said about me and it hurts. But at the same time, I guess my internal process is I really had to get honest about what restriction and over-exercising was doing to me like how it, it was not serving me right I, it was not healthy it's it's really unfortunate that the world sees health as thinness right and that when we compliment someone on their thin body and we just assume they're healthy because of the way they look it's so damaging um because there was nothing healthy about what i was doing when I was when I was in that smaller body, right? I was counting every morsel of things that went in my mouth. I was like, oh gosh, there was a list a mile long of all the things that I wouldn't eat. Like, no, there was no sugar, no grains, um, nothing artificial that you couldn't pronounce, no alcohol, like 
carbs, blah, blah, like, and then I went through phases where I was counting all my macros, like, oh gosh, it was just, it was obsessive. Like I would, if friends invited me out, I would either decline the invitation or I would check out the menu ahead of time to see if there was something that I could eat. And then I'd be the person sitting at the table going, well, I'll have that, but could you put the dressing on the side and no croutons? And like, you know, I had a list of all of the restrictions. I was, I'm sure it was no fun to go out with. Um, and exercise wise, like I would do a workout in the morning before I ate, and then I would see my clients and I would inevitably end up doing some workouts with them. And then I would have a weightlifting workout in the evening. Like it was no less than two hours of exercise a day. So, you know, when people criticize that, oh, you've just let yourself go, you can't cut it. You're right. <laughs> I, can't. I can't, nor do I want to. Like I, if that's what you see, as health, then I mean, have at her, but that's yeah. not for me. <laughs> well, what's, I, I think that's um, so refreshing just hearing the details of your story, because that mm -hmm. is, that's the thing. When people see this version of yourself, they're exposed to their interpretation of how you are keeping all of this up, which is very different than what is mm -hmm. actually happening in your mind and your body and your mm -hmm. emotional well-being and mm -hmm. what's so uncomfortable for our brains during those times is receiving all of the validation and all of the praise mm -hmm. and all of the reinforcement that you're doing something right the disorder is right because yes. that's what this fucked up culture is um setting as the the bar of yeah the bar of health mm -hmm. the bar mm -hmm. of success Yep. and whatever that looks like. And yeah. that's deeply uncomfortable trying to untangle and just disassociate with this yeah. message that has been really handed down to you for years and years and years for mm -hmm. all of us. You know, we're talking oh, about your yeah. story today, but I mean, this, this really influences all of us here in this mm -hmm. community. So what steps did you take to get to a place where you were able to feel more confident about your decision in just really forming that belief that, no, I, I can't cut mm -hmm. it. This is not the version mm -hmm. of health that I want for my life. And actually really being okay with labeling yeah. it as something that's disordered. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, I, I did have the support of a coach. Like I said, I worked with Stephanie Dodier and she she teaches the self-coaching model, which is um, a tool from cognitive behavioral therapy that really helps us see how our thoughts are influencing how we feel. So, you know, when we don't when we don't like our body, when we struggle with our body image, it's not because of the way our body looks that we feel that way. It's because of the thoughts and limiting beliefs that we we hold. And I had a lot of them around, you know, fat is bad, thin is better. You're not, you can't be pretty, happy, healthy, successful, any of the good things in life in a larger body. And I really had to dig in, like really dig in and do the deep work about all of the things that I was believing about weight um and how how i could feel about myself um or just detaching i guess my worth from how i looked whether i'm thin whether i'm fat whether i'm somewhere in between my soul my person doesn't change and the truth of the matter is I never found that self-acceptance and that confidence that I was searching for in my smaller body either, right? So that that helped that having that evidence of like confidence doesn't come just miraculously when we lose weight. It's a result of that deep, deep belief work about who you are, who you are outside of your body. Um, and I really I really hadn't done a lot of that thought work before. Like, who who am I actually mm. if I'm not my body? That's such a powerful and, question. Like for everybody listening, mm -hmm. if you are able to take a note, write that down. Mm -hmm. Who who am I if I'm not my body? So much of our identity is wrapped up in our physical bodies. And I don't think that we 
get the encouragement enough to really detach from that and Mm -hmm. get to know ourselves on a more intimate level of who we are at the core Mm -hmm. of ourselves, of our soul, of our internal well-being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of thought work also. I think that is one of the quickest ways and mm. slowest ways because it does require a lot <laughs> a lot of unpacking and, yeah. and digging and really just like self-reflection and nervous system processing and everything yeah. but oh my gosh it's one of the most sustainable ways that we can really start to transform and make a change so so true how do you use this with clients now T- mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your new business mm-hmm. and how you mm-hmm. work with uh with clients from a more joyful movement perspective, intuitive eating model, and yeah. and also just the thought work that you bring into your clients mm-hmm. around movement and exercise? Yeah, such a good question. Um, so, I mean, I'm still a certified personal trainer. Um, I'm also a holistic nutritionist, and now I've added body image coaching to the things that I do. Um, but what is so beautiful about thought work is everybody struggles with motivation for movement. Like, raise your hand if you've never struggled with motivation. Nobody will put their hand up. (laughs) Universally across the board, everybody struggles with motivation. And we think that the answer to to feeling motivated is like, okay, try a new program or join a new gym, hire the personal trainer so that they'll hold you accountable when you start to dwindle in your motivation or employ willpower, like schedule everything out in in your planner so that there's absolutely no chance that you can fail right? But motivation is a feeling and our feelings are created by our thoughts. So as long as we hold negative thoughts about exercise or about our body or the two intertwined, like how the point of exercise is to change your body, as long as we're operating from that thought system, you will always struggle with motivation. So in doing thought work, when we're able to dig into like, what do you believe about exercise? What has been your previous experience with exercise? What perspective are you bringing to the table? Um, What lies are you believing from Fitzbo diet culture that cause you to think that if, you know, it's not hard, it's not effective, or you got to be sore after, or if you're not sweating, then it didn't count, or it's got to be a whole hour lifting weights at the gym. Like all these rules are really just thoughts and they're influencing how you feel, right? They're making you feel inadequate and like you're not good enough. And that there's, if, if you can't do it perfectly, there's no point in doing it. Well, no wonder you feel unmotivated when that's how you're thinking. I'm just writing this down because that's so powerful. <laughs> the rules are just thoughts and the thoughts are making you feel inadequate and unmotivated. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us more about this because mm-hmm. I think this is um, this is going to be so helpful and illuminate so many blocks for so many people. So, in terms of getting unstuck or mm-hmm. getting motivated, mm-hmm. what what are some of the best ways for somebody to begin doing that with yeah. their own personal movement practice? Where should where should people start? Oh, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Motivation is like <laughs> my favorite thing. Um, so, and the, the cool thing is that it's been very well studied in, in our industry because everybody struggles with motivation. So there's been a lot of, of science um, on, this, on this topic. So there was a classic study done back in the 70s called the self-determination theory. And what they determined that, that there were three big factors that help people build that intrinsic motivation, which is that deep desire within us to do something just for the pure joy of doing it, where extrinsic motivation is like doing something for a reward. Um, So the three things that help us build intrinsic motivation are liking the activity and feeling like we're good at it. So a sense of competence, being surrounded by a supportive community. And the word supportive is really important here because some fitness communities are not very supportive, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is, so, okay, I have to (laughs) remember, I'm getting off track. Liking what you're doing. Oh yeah, having choices. 
Okay. So feeling empowered to do what you want to do, what's best for your body in that moment. So competence, community, and having choices are the three things that help us build um, intrinsic motivation. And then a more recent study back in 2018 um, added a fourth factor, which is seeing some benefit of your movement practice um, as far as like improved functional fitness or health. So, you know, whether you're more flexible or more mobile or feeling stronger, or there's actually some health metrics that are changing, like maybe your blood pressure and blood sugar are starting to stabilize. Those things are all motivating. But the one thing that is known to be a motivation killer is focusing on weight loss or body shaping goals as your primary um why for movement and why? even if why yeah well yeah. Be, because whenever we're trying to change our body i mean the belief system that's usually behind that is my body's not good enough as it is i need to fix it and that leads to feelings of guilt and shame. And it's pretty hard to feel motivated when you're feeling crappy about yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and really the, that is like, what's the main messaging in the fitness industry, right? Like, I, like I said, up till a few years ago, it never even crossed my mind that you could engage with movement without having weight loss as a goal. And I was, I was a personal trainer, like soured we're taught, right? Like we would have goal conversations with people like, oh, well, I want to get stronger and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, how much weight do you want to lose? <laughs> like it was always, mm -hmm. always about weight loss. Right. And the silly thing is like, we have all of this research. We know that weight loss isn't a motivating thing. And yet it's still, we, we, it seems like we can't have a conversation about fitness without it being part of the conversation. Yeah. So silly. I agreed. And I think this is, uh, there's, there's so much to unpack here because mm -hmm. I think that because of, um, diet culture and all of the years of reinforcement around uh, weight loss messaging around movement and just food in general, I mean, we get it from every single mm -hmm. angle. We have our own lived experience with this fat phobia, fat bias, all of this mm -hmm. exists. And we have so many examples of this existing. And so whether you are in a fat body, whether you're not in and fearing of becoming yeah. in a fat body, it's, it's yeah. just such so pervasive. a, so pervasive, it's so common. And so mm -hmm. even if people are wanting to move their body, um, and claiming that it's in the name of health, yeah, there is almost always that lingering hope that, yeah their body will change or weight loss will happen. And so yeah. how do you address that? And how do you address that with your clients? And how can somebody start addressing that for themselves and really just getting honest about that? Because I think that's really important from the study that you're sharing. If the motivation for weight loss and body shaping is present, that's the one mm -hmm. uh, determinant of Yep. the motivation being ineffective. And so if that's constantly riding shotgun, that's always going to interfere with our goals, just yep. scientifically speaking. Or am I hearing yep. you accurately? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I guess how I, how I work with my clients is, well, first of all, I, I teach them that, like, I make sure that like I, they, they know the same science that I know. So they have that information and yet that's not enough to change years of programming sure right? so right like they're, they're like well but i still want to lose weight right that's fine that's fine what i teach them initially like there, there's a lot to unpack like you say and it, it can take months or years to fully ditch the diet mentality but we start where they're at and i i like to use the the word and as a bridge so yes i want to change my body and I know that I'm more than a body and then I help them set real life goals. So like, what is your main why for movement? Um, what is it that you think losing weight will provide for you? So whether they say, well, I, I want to reduce joint pain or I want to have more stamina to keep up with my kids, or I want to be able to get up and down the stairs without getting winded. And they think that losing weight will automatically provide those goals for them. Like, okay, let's just take weight off the table. 
because we can't actually control that as much as we like to think we can. So let's just let that land where it lands and let's focus on the the underneath goal. So you want to reduce joint pain? Okay, great. Let's let's come up with a plan. How do we strengthen your legs so that your knees don't hurt? Um, how can we add some mobility into there? Um, are you getting enough water? Are you hydrated? You know, things like that. Like, let's look at the real goal and come up with a training plan that supports that. And then as we're implementing the plan, as we're working together in our personal training sessions, you know, stuff comes up and eventually like, that's when we start to have these conversations about the fat bias and the, the weight stigma and the fat phobia and the things that we believe and we've been taught to believe and little by little, you know, we, we, we chip away at those old thoughts and start to create new ones. Love that. So it's, mm -hmm. it sounds like a really sustainable patient process mm -hmm. that is creating enough space to be able to take action and also challenge some of these limiting beliefs as, as they're coming up. And also to just name what people actually want. Like, I, I think that's so important as well too. Like you're saying, if, if body shaping or weight loss is an actual goal for somebody Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense because of the years of messaging. And yeah. it doesn't mean that you have to rush to a place where that's just not on the table anymore yeah. Yeah. Um, to just create enough space for people to decide what that means for themselves mm -hmm. in their own way. And yeah. I think that really goes back to what you're mentioning about the supportive community aspect of mm -hmm. the effectiveness of motivation. Um, Kim, where, where does somebody start if they're just looking for how to discover intuitive movement on their own or joyful movement? If mm. they have been in the environment of, well, my friend did this and it worked, or my mom did this and it worked, or I've just done this my whole life, or this, you know, sounds like what I should do. How do people start discovering movement that actually is sustainable for them? Mm -hmm. The f <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of steps, but I guess the first would be, well, I guess what I did first when I was first learning to embrace intuitive movement for myself is I just drew a line in the sand and said, if I'm, if I'm engaging with movement to burn calories or whatever, I'm just not going to do it. Like, yeah. right. Like I just kind of gave myself permission to move how I wanted to for a period of time. So you know how intuitive eating, we talk about unconditional permission to eat. It's kind of the same with intuitive movement. Like just give yourself unconditional permission to rest and do what feels good. Mm. Um, so for me, like I, I was always, I'm still a runner. I love running, but running was always about burning off what I ate, right? So like there was a period of time where I like, I just didn't run because I couldn't make myself go out the door without thinking, okay, I'm gonna, like, I should run for this long because I ate this much food, right? So I just gave myself a break from that. Um, so give yourself permission to just do what feels good. And one thing I teach my clients when they're first getting started with intuitive movement is to embrace embodiment, like learn how to actually be in your body. And you can do that simply by using your breath, right? just like taking a few quiet moments coming into your body, taking a few deep breaths and seeing how your body feels. And I ask my clients to, to ask themselves three questions before any movement practice. And that's just, how do I feel today? How do I want to feel today? And how could I move my body to get closer to that feeling? And then that opens you up to so many choices as opposed to just, well, I have weights scheduled on the plan for today. I got to lift weights. We're like. Well, no, like if you're kind of feeling tired or, you know, you didn't get a great sleep or your body's a little sore today, maybe you need some gentle stretching or, you know, just some intuitive dance. Or if you're feeling angry and stressed out, maybe lifting some heavy weights would be a great thing for you. But you have the power to choose in each moment what's the best way to move your body for how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's so powerful. And I love those questions as well, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that really goes back to choices, you know, mm -hmm. the, that mm -hmm. being one of the fundamental principles yeah. of 
motivation and just giving yourself options and plenty of choices, including rest in those choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, ooh, for me personally, I, I mean, that was so challenging when I was healing my relationship mm-hmm. with movement and my body and yeah. food because it just, it was an identity badge for me, you know? Oh, it, yeah. It felt like um, I had so many beliefs and so many um, just very limiting beliefs about how I should move my body and how that was equated to what I was eating and mm-hmm. avoiding rest and whatnot that mm-hmm. just creating more options, it felt like I was doing something wrong. Right. Um, so I think it's really normal. What would you say mm-hmm. if somebody is in that place where they are healing and they mm-hmm. know they do need to take a break from a movement pattern that's become disordered? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the process like that you would recommend for just pausing on that to reevaluate and then perhaps coming back to it? Is it possible? Is oh. it something that you see often or do you discourage it? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think it's a very individualized process. There's no right or wrong, but I, I think it is possible to re-engage with movement that was once disordered. Um, I actually have a really fun personal example of this, um, which is burpees. Oh, <laughs> I always no. hate it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I have always hated burpees. Like they were they were torture. Even even in my you know, hardcore training days, I still hate I hated burpees always. And they were always just seen as like the the worst way to punish my body. But they burned a lot of calories, I thought, or you know, this is what we're taught. Um, so I would do them because they must be effective, they must be good for you. Um, so when I like, you know, adopted the non-diet approach, I was like, I will never do another burpee. Like, this is my past. I never have to do burpees again. And I don't like I, if I live the rest of my life and never do a burpee again, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, recently I was, I was doing a, a workout myself with my BOSU ball, which is one of those like half balls that you can do balance training on. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, doing some balance work and I, I, I don't even know what came over me. That was not something that I put conscious thought into, but I found myself like taking the BOSU ball and putting it on the floor and stepping back into a plank and doing a little push up and then stepping back in and putting the ball over my head. I was like, oh my God, I just did a burpee. <laughs> it, was very, <laughs> it was very slow and controlled. And like, I was focused on all the alignment and the mobility part of it and the core strength and like, you know, the, the alignment of my shoulders and like it, it, I it just intuitively did it instinctively did it as sort of a like mobility move. And I was like, I just did a burpee <sighs> and, and I've been doing them again and again and again and i'm like there's there's like actual function to this and i like how it feels in my body mm-hmm. um but i i'm not doing them like fast and like you know drop into the floor and jumping up out in the air like that to me doesn't feel fun but you know it's just an example of how something that was so awful and had so much meaning attached to it suddenly has a totally different meaning and feels really great to do mm-hmm. That's, I love that story. That's, I have some, I have some similar stories to that also, (laughs) you know, you mentioned running before and that I, I think so many people can resonate with that. It's just Mm -hmm. such a, you know, it's such a, um, fundamental way to move our bodies and diet culture and that we think me, it's like the gold standard. It's like it's the, the gold thing. standard. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. And mm-hmm. I, when I was healing, I was like, I will never run again because no. it was just, it had just felt so disordered for so long. Yeah. And now um, I do go for a run sometimes, like sometimes I'll be yeah. on a walk and I'll, I'll just feel my body wanting to run. I won't even plan for it. And I'll just start running for a little bit. And I'm just always like, Oh my God, this is so fun. This is so much different than what it used to be. And I never thought that I would get to that place Mm -hmm. ever. And I don't really do it that often because it just doesn't really feel that great anymore, but it's fun to just kind of like be in a relationship with my body, at least right now where I I just listen to it in that way and have a little bit more fun with it and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so, so great to see examples of all of these yeah. people who are getting to places like that with movement in their bodies. 
Um, what are some other reasons we should be considering exercise and movement other than the traditional weight loss body shaping like we're like we're sold what are what are mm-hmm. actual evidence-based ways to get motivate for motivated for movement practices that actually do support health beyond just our yeah. physical bodies and and what they look like well i think for for me number one right now is the mental health benefits and I say that with a caveat because there there is a lot of documented evidence to support exercise being good for your mental health, but there's also the other side of that where it's not, right? And depending on what our experience has been with exercise and what we have what we've experienced in fitness settings, you know, as far as weight bias and weight stigma and fat phobia go, it's not always a positive mental health experience. So I just want to like put that caveat out there, but you know, if we can get to a place of, of joyful movement and in a supportive community, a supportive environment, I think that the, the benefits to our mood and emotional state is like top, top of the line, especially right now with everything that we're going through globally with the pandemic and stuff. So mental health, huge. Um, Oh gosh, there's so many benefits to movement. It improves memory and cognition. It improves your cardiovascular functioning, um, mobility and strength, right? So that as like none of us are getting any old, any younger, right? But as we age, you know, to be able to maintain our mobility for as long as possible, like that's something that's I'm more mindful of now as I'm in my 40s. I'm like, I just want to, I just want to be able to keep doing the things that I like doing for as long as possible. Um, yeah, those are great. Um, I mean, I yeah, know there's the, lots more. <laughs> I know the list is long and, yeah. and also for everybody listening, like that's, that's also, um, what Kim is saying is spot on. And that's an easy Google search too. If you just mm-hmm. like Google, you know, health promoting benefits of, uh, exercise beyond body somebody's wrote a book. I'm sure you probably have Kim. You probably have, you have so much information on your, on your social media and website and just all of these things. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence and research around Mm -hmm. this that Mm -hmm. I just don't think diet culture promotes that often or tangles it with the way we should be shaping our bodies. It's it's all tangled in with like, yeah. Yeah. Like if, if you lose weight, then you get to experience all these other benefits. Well, that's bullshit. Sorry. Like, no, you can have all the other benefits and the scale does not have to change or it could change in the other way. Who cares? Like they're, they're two different things. Yeah. How do you know when your relationship with movement has become disordered, you know, whether or not somebody Mm -hmm. is coming to this space from a previously disordered relationship with exercise, Mm -hmm. or they're just starting to move their body more and experiencing that high for the first Mm -hmm. time and noticing Mm -hmm. that it's becoming more obsessive or compulsive and, or compensatory in some way, what would you, what would you say to look out for? Well, there's one big question that you can ask yourself and this applies to things beyond movement, but am I engaging in this behavior because I love myself or am I engaging in this behavior because I want to fix myself? Mm. And you know, that, that will, that will show you pretty quickly if it's starting to become disordered. But you know, if we are feeling like you, you have to do your workout or you've done something wrong or that it must be an hour or it wasn't good enough, or, you know, that you have to follow the plan to a T or, you know, you decline social invitations because you've got to get your workout in or, um, you only rest on scheduled rest days or you wait for an injury before you rest. Like these are all red flags that, you know, it's, you just want to be cautious so good i i that list i will be highlighting that list in the show notes because those are really really practical things to look out for and oh and tracking that's can i add that one on too like if you are married to your fitbit (laughs) and you can't go to bed until you get ten thousand steps or you know you're watching the leaderboard and if you fall out of first place you gotta squeeze in an extra workout that's those are some other red flags Yeah, it's so interesting. And those are all, they're all so layered as well, too, because they're so individual. Mm-hmm. And 
um, everyone has a different relationship with that. And that also is mm -hmm. just a part of the process for everybody, everybody to keep in mind as well, too. Usually there's something else going on when we are prioritizing control over these, these types of things. Like if, like you said, Kim, if you are married to your Fitbit, why? Like what else, what else is there, you know? And right. what you said earlier, Kim, I think is so relevant for that. Just noticing what you aren't able to control in your life mm -hmm. and how our mm -hmm. default is controlling our bodies because um, we do have some control over them to a certain degree and that's not mm -hmm. always good. Um, mm -hmm. But it's an easy, it's an easy like first step for so many of us. And there's a lot of problems with that. So something to get yeah. curious about as, mm -hmm. as we're all like looking at this a little bit more closely, what is my relationship with yeah. control yeah. in general? And what does it feel? mean about me? What does it, what mean, does it mean about me? So good. If yeah. I, yeah. If I don't hit my targets or if I don't achieve this, what, what does that mean about me? And if and then that will show you where you might be wrapping your worth up in either your accomplishments or, or your appearance. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about body image before we wrap this up. When you mm. are, when you're supporting a client who is struggling with a bad body image day, or when you have one mm -hmm. yourself because mm -hmm. you're human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep, they happen. What are your favorite tools and tips for bad body image days? Well, for me, what works best is to remember what it would take to change my body. Right? Like I, I like you say, I do have those days where I think, oh gosh, I should lose weight. And then I think back to what that would entail. <laughs> and I do a mental inventory of like, oh yeah, do you remember when you had to count every morsel that went into your mouth and like, you know, work out two hours a day and never spend any time with your kids and blah, blah, blah. Like, and then I, th that very quickly brings me back to reality. And then, then I get into my thought work. Right. And I, I repeat the, the beliefs that I'm training my brain to believe now, which is I am more than a body. I am infinitely valuable and worthy just as I am. Um, and then, I, then that, that helps, right? Then I start to feel more neutral. I go put on some comfortable clothes and find something else to use my mental energy for mm -hmm. than, you know, than thinking about how bad my body is, Yeah, which it's not, which it's not. I love that. So it's so helpful. And one thing that really stood out to me in hearing you say that kind of tying it back to what we know about the four main parts of motivation is getting curious about what is informing that belief at that time or the thought at the mm -hmm. time, what's the circumstance, what's the environmental yeah, yeah. circumstance that's triggering that thought. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, if the environment is that you're in is, is kind of triggering this idea that you need to change your body in some way, whether it's something that you saw online or something that you're watching or what a friend said or a family member, but just to also acknowledge that um because it is all around us i go through this mm -hmm. too like i i am mm -hmm. i am right there with you and yeah. for me that's super helpful also just acknowledging why do i feel this way right now like what actually set me off what yeah. what was the thing that yeah that really started to perpetuate these negative thoughts about myself and starting mm -hmm. to look at that a little bit more closely and shifting yeah. it if possible mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Because the the insecurity that we feel about our body is really never about our body. It's an insecurity in some other area, right? So being honest about what triggered that, um, yeah, th th yeah, that's really helpful, right? Then because then you can then you can do the thought work on what really matters. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. What I love so much about this conversation and just how clear the thought work model is is that we're talking about our relationship with our bodies and our relationship with movement in this conversation, but this can be applied to anything in life. Mm -hmm. This is so true. This is so intrinsically tied to our personal values and our self-worth. And so mm -hmm. if you are feeling discomfort in your romantic life, yeah. in your career, in your yeah. financial life, as yeah. a parent, as a friend, as a, as a, you know, daughter, 
son, whatever. Like this is so easy to just get curious about in where you are not feeling enough because that's really yes. what it boils down to. That's what I'm hearing 100%. you really like getting into with all of this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I am, I'm so glad that you came on the show and just oh. like blew our minds with all this information and shared your story. <laughs> you're, you're just so amazing, Kim. And I'm so, oh. so grateful that you're doing this work and, um, I want everybody to connect with you. So where can they find you and get into your world? We'll plug it in the show notes. Oh, well, thank you so much. And can I just say the feeling is mutual. Um, so on social media, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Radiant Vitality Wellness is my handle. And I also have a podcast called The Joyful Movement Show. So I release new episodes every Monday and we talk about all of this stuff, relationship to movement, body image, intuitive eating, all of this ditching diet culture stuff. Um, and then I guess the other place would be my website, which is www.radiantvitality.ca. Awesome. Oh, you're amazing. I just adore you and thank you <laughs> so much for all of your brilliance and the information that you shared with us today and your truth. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and I really, I am so grateful for the work that you do, Caitlin, and for the opportunity to be here and, and to share with your community. Thank you. That's our show. Thank you for spending time with us today. Our show producer is Stephanie Olea. Shayla Anderson is our community manager. For more information around healing your own relationship with food and body image, click the show notes and you'll find direct links to our guests plus resources and more. If this conversation resonated with you, please leave a review and share it with a friend so that we can continue to heal and empower these important topics around our relationship with food and body. Sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. I'll see you next week for another episode.